If you're in the UK, good evening. If you're in the US or Canada, good afternoon. And if you're in the land of the rising sun, Nippon, otherwise known as Japan or Australia, good morning. Welcome to the Magic of Wrestling podcast. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the highs and lows of one Eric Bischoff. This guy at my side has picked five moments. The guy below us has picked five moments. And we're going to have a nice, nice discussion. So, but first, intern, roll the intro. is of course saturday night again it's time for the magic of wrestling i am of course the magician lee wakeland and i am the effing expert of effing wrestling mr Isaacs. and of course we've got a very special guest this is a good friend of mine i'll let the guy speak for himself go ahead introduce yourself and i'm stevie aaron from the uk uh uk master of ceremonies former commentator kind of a former wrestler and I'm uh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the invite, gentlemen. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, yeah. As he's, Thank you for coming. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, Stevie, how's the week been? By the way, I know you've been a bit under the weather. Oh, I've been terrible. Um, it seems to have come back today. I don't know if there's a bug going around or what it is, or if there's. I have no idea what I've caught, but uh, the weather's not helping. It's uh, it's pretty bad out there, but. Uh... <laughs> Um, yeah, I didn't want to cancel Liam. I'm not like uh, some people we could mention. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> uh, yeah, but He's Mr. not Isaacs, watching. He, he probably won't be watching. Never mind. Mr. Isaacs, how are we? I'm doing all right, man. I, I hope that you two are doing well. I know you both have been sick. I don't know what's going on in the UK over there. I hope you guys are not bringing back the bubonic plague or anything, because oh, it'll be in America shortly, if that's the case. No, no we're, not like, we're not that bad. <laughs> well, I don't think we're not, anyway. So. No, no. <laughs> uh, dear. I'm kind of scared now, because I don't want to pass note on to the U- US. <laughs> Can you do that digitally? I don't know. Maybe. It's Maybe that's the Yeah. Maybe it's evolved at this point. It'll start yeah. jumping through modems. <laughs> uh, yeah, gentlemen, of course, it's our series. It's highs and lows. So we're going to be skipping our news and we're going to get it straight into our main event. <laughs> Anything about that ending, by the way? <laughs> about the Liam loves the uh, He loves that scene. <laughs> I, play, I need to play the I, mean, I, I know this guy's a big of a... <laughs> I thought it was a wrestle for some reason. I actually don't know why. You're breaking up a little bit on this end for me. Yeah, you're breaking up, Liam. I've, I've got to say, you've gone all robotic. <laughs> Oh, he's Jesus. doing Mr. Robot over, over here. here. Yeah, <laughs> it's the connections over here. It's so really, really. Can you hear me all right, though? 
It, it's uh, it's going in and out. We'll do it a couple shout outs here for a second. We got uh, Joe Graham in the house. Good evening, gentlemen. Joe, happy to see you. Our good pal Canada Drys in here says, hey, Stevie, I love your second name. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> Where is he? Uh, he's, he's in the comments. We'll just leave it at that. Okay, fair enough. Oh dear. So yeah, today's show is obviously we're looking at the highs and lows of obviously one Eric Bischoff, who I'm a huge fan of. So Stevie, obviously you've been in obviously in the wrestling industry for a while. So what was your first like memory when it comes to Eric? Um, as a fan, it would have been uh, WCW early nineties um, when really he was he was pretty much a C announcer. You know, I'm sure he would uh, say that himself. Um, you know, good-looking guy. Um, he was there with Missy Hyatt, so we were all jealous. Um, you know, I remember him as, as a commentator. He wasn't great, but he was very enthusiastic early on. Um, um, that's about it, really. He was really, you know, he wasn't really a, a factor at all until I remember reading, obviously, he got the, uh, you know, the executive job or whatever. He became the new... Uh, sort of guy in charge and uh, it went from there but early on I would have just said you know he's just uh, he's just the guy that sends it back to Tony Schiavone or, or Jim Ross I suppose. <laughs> Mr. Isaacs what about you? Yeah I mean that that's pretty much what he was you know he was uh, that's kind of my early memories of him as well was uh, doing the uh, kind of mid-tier commentary in WCW back in the early 90s. Um, you know, of course, he got to start with the AWA as a broadcaster. Um, I don't remember seeing him there because that was a little before my time. But uh, then he went to WCW and uh, did the commentary thing until somehow he finagled his way into being the president of WCW. So, But that's how I remember him from the very start was him being a commentator. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's, that's pretty interesting because obviously – He's been in WCW, he's been in WWE, he's been in TNA, so he's pretty much been everywhere, Mr. Isaacs. Yeah, I mean, he's been a big powerhouse executive name in the wrestling business for 30-some years now. So he, he's done a little bit of everything. The guy's had a fascinating career, and uh, I'm glad we're talking about it today because there's a lot to unpack. There is, there is. So for people listening, what this is obviously is, we've got 10 talking points. As I mentioned in the intro, five shows about each of our guests, then... We're going to be talking about each one. So first one is, which was obviously chosen by Mr. Aaron himself, which was the heel turn with, of course, Roddy Piper. Now, the interesting thing is when you watch this back, it's kind of, kind of weird. But Mr. Isaacs, I'll start you on this one. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of the moment that, uh, you know, Bischoff kind of came out and uh, became like the evil boss character. Which was, uh, you know, which, which people don't seem to realize this, but he actually did this character before Vince McMahon became the evil boss character. So he's kind of the innovator of this. Um, but this was the moment that uh, we found out that uh, Eric was the secret guy in charge of the NWO. And uh, I mean, this was huge. This is what propelled him from being just a commentator to being an on-screen villain. And, um, you know, really kind of changed the course of uh, wrestling. Moving forward, uh, obviously, like I said, Vince McMahon kind of adopted something similar later. And, uh, I mean, this was a big moment. This was a big moment. And I, I think in the career of Eric Bischoff, this has to be considered a high. Yeah, absolutely. So, Stevie, obviously you can talk about this because obviously you chose this segment. So, go ahead. 
I, I think as an angle, it's it's really unique and it, it sticks out for me as uh, as very memorable. And there's a few reasons for that. And I'll just explain the angle for people not as familiar or they might not uh, remember it so well. Um, so, the, so basically, Piper has showed up at Halloween Havoc. Um, they hinted at the, the Piper-Hogan Starcade match, though they haven't said when it's going to happen yet. Um, I think there's been talk about is WCW going to, you know, offer Piper a contract? Is he um, going to be a part of WCW? Whatever, you know, that kind of angle. Uh, is the match going to happen? And, um, and what's unique about it is Bischoff comes out to the ring and he claims that WCW has been unable to contact Rowdy Piper. Nobody's seen him. They don't know what the situation's going to be. And then Piper's music plays. He comes out, confronts Bischoff, and he points the finger at him and calls him a liar. Um, and it, it, it's very awkward for Bischoff. He's like, well, you know, what's going on? Now, I should point out as well at this point, yeah, he was the, the, the C-tier um, commentator. Um, it has been um, talked about on screen that he has some sort of power. So if you're a casual fan, you know, he's, I think they've called him like a, an executive producer or something like that. There was obviously the angle earlier, earlier in the year with uh, Nash putting him through the table at, at uh, Great American Bash and stuff. And he went missing at Bash at the Beach. And they've, they've hinted that he has more power than, than he's let on and um, the, the shades of that. But in this particular angle, Bischoff looks really awkward and the fans are, are kind of confused. And Piper's calling him a liar, getting in his face. And then the N NWO come out, uh, beat down Piper, grab hold of Piper. And Hogan uh, comes to the ring and actually hugs Bischoff. So then the, the crowd realise what's happened. And um, I think the, the the famous line from Hogan here, which is pretty good, is he says something like, uh, now we know who everybody's working for. Um, and it's just that line. It's, it's so effective. And you realise that, okay, Bischoff, as you say, he was the one that's uh, sort of instigating the NWO. He's the one uh, that's on their side now. And that's why they're able to, uh, you know, do what they have been doing for the past few months. Now, what I really like about this, and I can't really think of another angle that it compares to, um, because you have the baby face who's ahead, not only of the audience, um, whereas now, you know, the audience usually can guess what's going to happen. A lot of the time, heel turns, face turns. Or when a heel turn happens, it's out of the blue and it usually involves attacking somebody. Um, here, um, he's ahead of the NWO because he's he's basically calling Bischoff out and saying, you're with these guys. Uh, and then Bischoff's acting awkward because he has no choice but to reveal his true colours, which is really, really interesting. Now, I don't know whose idea this was. It sounds to me like it was Piper's idea, a Piper idea because it's kind of like Piper's pit. You know, back in the day where he would confront somebody and he's able to to obviously let that verbiage out on a um, on a heel in this case uh, with Bischoff and, and turning Bischoff heel, he's got no choice but reveal his true colours. So I think whatever you think, whether it was a right decision, uh, the right decision or not to turn Bischoff heel, I think as an angle, it's very unique and it's it's very effective. And I think this is why you know I still remember it all all this time later. So just talking about it as a segment. For me, it's a big thumbs up. Yeah. Anything to add on that, Mr. Isaacs? No, no. I mean, I, it, I think he summed it up pretty well there. Canada Dry wants to know if we're going to do a highs and lows of Canada Dry. No. So the highs are going to be anytime he talks about Bret Hart. And I'll let you come up with some lows, and we'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, yeah, I mean... It, Yes, the reveal is a high, but yeah, yes. 
the only thing is the actual segment overall for me is disappointing, but in the long run, it's going to be a high. So on that basis, you know what I mean? As you, Mr. Isaac said best, you know what I mean? We didn't see this before. So I mean, it was something new. So yeah, it's going to be high. I have to agree. I think there's an argument as well. I don't know if you guys, I know you haven't, Liam, actually, because I did bring it up. If you've read the book uh, by uh, Brian Alvarez and Adi Reynolds, The Death of WCW, um, but they actually uh, pinpoint this, I think it might be Alvarez, actually, pinpoints this occasion as Bischoff turning heel as uh, the kind of downfall of WCW overall, though, even though we've we seen him afterwards become this great performer, and he really was, and he really is, you know, as an entertainer. I think Bischoff's, you know, really up there. Um, he really is entertaining on screen. Um, but at the same time, he's not as involved with the sort of backstage stuff of WCW. And I think, you know, you, you kind of see the, um, what's the term? The, you know, the wheels are, are coming off a little bit and it's it's not quite as tight as it was for those, um, you know, a few months in, in 1996, those six months, which I, I, I felt, um, and a lot of people would agree with this. I, I think it's magic from the May up until the November uh, with the NWO and stuff. And after that, you can argue, well, there's too many members. You know, it's there's too much focus on the NWO and that kind of thing. But um, as as, a, as an angle, I mean, the reasons why you might not like it, Liam, are actually the reasons why I do like it. I think it's it's lodged in realism, the fact that Bischoff's really awkward about the situation. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere to put himself. And that's what I think's missing in a lot of, um, storylines and, and angles these days where it just looks, it's just a bit uncomfortable. It's like, what's Piper doing? He's not supposed to do this, you know, but we can't, I can't show emotion either way until mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the NWO decide oh, he's gone too far now. So that that's what I like about it. Yeah. Anything to add on Yeah. Didn't come across as phony at all. Right. Yeah. And I think that's it. And I think that's a lot of Nitro in 96, a lot of those angles of the NWO. It's, it's very, um, this isn't supposed to happen. It just, it just, this is just an authenticity to it where it's like these guys really hate each other. They're not supposed to be here. Um, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. And now it's another level because, you know, you, you have those questions about, well, if the NWO are really taking over, Who's letting them through the door? And it's like, well, it's Bischoff. Yeah. You know, so it's, <laughs> there's your answer. I mean, this is when the uh, the famous uh, what what gets referred to nowadays is the worked shoot, right? Like that that kind of became prevalent during this era. Yeah. Right then. So next one on is obviously one which Mister Isaac put, which was Nash powerbombing Bischoff. I remember this, and I remember going, "Ouch!" But Mister Isaac, I'll let you start. Obviously, this is one you chose. I love this. Yeah, but this is when the outsiders were just coming in and just wrecking havoc and destroying everybody and wrecking the show. And everybody's like, oh, what's going on? Razor Ramon and Diesel are invading WCW. What's going on here? This was fantastic. This is what kind of kicked off all this to begin with, which made it even more like a surprise when Bischoff ended up being revealed as being a member. Because, I mean, they they beat him up, chucked him off the stage with a powerbomb through the table. It was just, it was shocking. It was shocking because we didn't see like, like officials get beat up like this in this way, in this violent of a manner. It really put over the outsiders as these, uh, these attackers from another organization coming in, which is kind of how they positioned the NWO at first. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, it again, kind of like what we talked about before, it kind of blurred the lines of, was that supposed to go that way? Or did they just take it into their own hands and run with it? 
Um, great stuff. It was kind of the beginning of all of this. Yeah. Stevie, what do you remember about this? I, I remember something very specific. I had a friend who was on America Online, if you're old enough to remember that. Yes. And uh, he was one of the, the few people I knew that had the internet at the time. And uh, we would go, I don't know what it was, It was whether it was a, a chat board of some kind or a chat room. Um, and before the angle happened, and uh, uh, obviously WCW was heating up, obviously had Nash and Hall doing their thing every week on Nitro. And uh, the, I remember, and, and, and I don't care if you don't believe me, because I, I wouldn't believe me either. Somebody kept saying, like, Bischoff's going to get power bombed by Nash. He's going to he's going to give him the, the jackknife. And it was like, there's no way that's going to happen. He's going to jackknife him through a table. Now, obviously, it happened. And then I remember reading some time later that Bischoff was getting his ideas online. So I don't know if he's seen the same people as me and my friend that was seeing all this stuff about, you know, what was, uh, you know, angles that were was sort of pitched online and stuff. But um, yeah, it was. You, you're absolutely right. You just did not see angles like that. Then you did not see announcers get beaten up. Um, I mean, it was a big no-no on people like Mean Gene. Um, you know, going back and trying to think of something you could compare it to. Maybe you had like um, I remember the the angle from the '80s on the Brother Love Show when uh, uh, Bad News Brown would, would grab hold of Jack Tunney. If you remember that. Um, yeah. angle um but the, nobody nobody took a bump you know not a not right. off the stage yeah. through a table and it was just like there's no way this is happening and then it did and it was amazing and it was like man this just puts it on another level and what i love about that angle um it's tony shivani's reaction that makes it, it you know he doesn't overdo it he's not you know shouting like a madman i think you know he's like oh my god and that's it and it's just like what have we just seen what what has just happened this is uh, another level now, and it was it was one of those where you really had to be there at the time. I don't know if you could put the, um, you know, the sauce back in the tube or whatever that saying is, the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, but it, yeah, just trying to think of a, an example of a, an angle like that, and it's been copied so many times with announcers being beaten up and stuff. I mean, I've been beaten up myself many times, and now <laughs> it's just like it's nothing. But in 1996, as you say unbelievable and it just um you know put it into the stratosphere and what i liked as well was the fact that it was on um a pay-per-view i think made it even bigger um in, in a lot of ways but uh yeah i love that angle i think yeah. it's funny too the idea of uh <laughs> of getting getting ideas from a chat room can you imagine yeah. him <laughs> with, uh, with kevin sullivan backstage and he's yeah. got one of these old school ringers <laughs> where you know the 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 paper like folds over and you have to pull the tabs off the side. It's like Kevin, look what I just found on AOL from this guy in England. <laughs> well, I can't take credit for that, and I, I mean it wasn't my mate either. It was just you know this these were the types of like ah, oh, I'd love to see Bischoff get you know jackknifed, and I don't know maybe uh, yeah maybe you saw that some, somehow, but yeah, it's a great angle. Whoever came up with it hats off and uh it really helps the the nwo angle mm -hmm. so the next thing is is stevie is it a high or a low for his career oh it's a major high i mean it's yeah absolutely we're thumbs wheel for that one i think there's no dispute either way what do you think yeah. <laughs> i think it's going to be high as well but the, the thing is he only got minor injuries which i think says a lot especially when it's something like that because 
when you're doing spots like that, it's 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 always dangerous. So for me, it's got to be a high. Uh, Mr. Isaacs, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. High or low? Yeah, it's a definite high. Yeah. This was big business here. Of course, of course. Uh, Aaron does have a question for uh, Stevie. Uh, would you rather have cake or pie? I'm not sure what relevance that has here. No, but... I mean, what type of pie are we talking about? Um, Your choice. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I like cake. I've had a lot of cake lately. I've had a lot of chocolate cake this week because I've been ill, so... If that answers okay. your question, <laughs> chocolate cake. I'm a chocolate cake man, so there I can appreciate that. <laughs> you can't be a chocolate totally. cake. I'm just, I, yeah, I love a chocolate cake. So there you go. Simple. Right. I didn't Next expect one. questions like this. <laughs> it's the we peanut have, have... gallery. Don't worry about them. Oh, <laughs> uh, Next one we've got is it's giving away raw results. So, Stevie, this is obviously something which basically backfired, let's be honest. Was this like desperation in a way? Not in the beginning. I don't. I don't think it backfired. I mean, it did obviously in '98 uh, when uh, Tony Schiavone gave away the, the the result about Foley winning the title. In in '95, no. Um, in '95, nobody was doing anything like that. And um, I don't know if I, if I can speak for you guys, but a lot of people were, you know, speaking about myself and a lot of people. We were we were pissed off about this one because it was really like well, who does he think he is doing that you don't you know you don't mess with the you don't mess with the business this is you know um it's uh tradition you know you have to you do tapings and mostly everything was tapings back then nitro was the exception nitro going live every week i mean i can't explain now to, to newer fans what a big deal that was uh so for him to go out and to give the raw results yeah, it was it was terribly cheap, but from Eric's point of view, it was a stroke of genius and just showing how um, you know another another reason to see the the WF at the time as behind the times. Um, I felt you know so the fact that he went out and did that, um, it, it, it's kind of like okay, they're they're the old guard. This is the new thing. Nitro's live, like Nitro's every week. Um, you got to watch Nitro. Um, so as much as it annoyed me. Um, yeah, if 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 I was in that position, I would have done the same. Um, it backfired in the end in '98, but he'd stopped doing it. You know, they'd, they'd stopped doing that. And it, it, in '98, it was desperate, but in '95, no, nah, it was um, it was a ballsy move, rightly or wrongly. And oh. um, that, that's how I would look at that one. Mister mm -hmm. Isaac, thoughts? Yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of him doing this. Um, and it was shocking, and this kind of was the you know breaking the fourth wall of uh Raw being taped and Nitro yeah. being live, which was kind of the point that uh Bischoff was trying to accentuate here. Um, Raw kind of eventually did this thing where like they would go live one week, then they would tape a week immediately back to back during the tapings, and then the next week would be a taped episode, and Bischoff would give the results out, which I, I think it was a dick move, like I didn't like it. Um he obviously quit doing it for a while until the uh, the infamous moment that Stevie mentioned earlier about the uh, the famous Tony Schiavone line put butts in seats, you know, talking about Mick Foley. If you don't, if you tune into the other channel, they've got Mick Foley being the world champion. <laughs> That'll put butts in seats, you know. And then of course, you know, a half a million people or whatever switched over to Raw, <laughs> and that's when they started winning every week in the ratings so um this is definitely a low this was a low class move that ended up backfiring on bischoff not good yeah stevie high or low um 
I suppose ultimately it's a law. Um, but in '95, I kind of see where he was coming from, rightly or wrongly. He he wanted to just mess with the system. So mm-hmm. Joe Graham says it's a law as well. Yeah. So is this like a typical like lightning doesn't strike twice? You can try it once, but don't try it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, he probably... did a he did it a few times in '95 because I know they did the. Uh, I think they they started taping the like the three episodes, and then they did um, like pay-per-view to pay-per-view so you know it would be live after the pay-per-view and then they, they got really lazy when they were taping like before um, yeah um so really it was a kick in the ass to vince so i kind of see it from that point of view but um you know being a traditionalist and being for pro wrestling as as you say it's um it's not good to to give away secrets like that especially when he taped what was it three months worldwide and saturday night from <laughs> disney and stuff two years earlier um I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't have liked Vince giving away three months of. <laughs> well, I, I guess if the matches were like Silver King versus uh, <laughs> in the main event, nobody's going to care. <laughs> no. no, but they did come out with the belts and stuff, didn't they? When they'd done, you know, title changes, didn't you have um, the the Horsemen come out in in '93? I think where yeah. it was Roma and uh, and Arn Anderson. So you knew that they were supposed to beat the Hollywood Blondes at one point, and it's like. And that messed up the booking completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's got to be a low overall. I mean, I think you both said it pretty much best. There's not really much you can add to that. Like I said, if it works once, you're going to try it again. But I've, it's a dick move, you know, trying to like poke fun. But hey, this is what was it called? The Monday Night Wars for nothing, right? No, it was three years out as well. It was so late in the day and it didn't need to do that. And then it backfired, um, as we've said. Mm-hmm. So next one I've got is, is obviously one which Mr. Isaacs picked, which was the 83 Weeks podcast. Mr. Isaacs, obviously loads of wrestlers do podcasts, and I've actually listened to this one, and I do actually like it. So thoughts? Yeah, I'm a big fan of this podcast. Um, you know, obviously Conrad Thompson, being the uh, the rich super fan that he is, decided to uh, partner up with some some talents, uh, utilizing the, uh, the contacts to his father-in-law, which is, of course, Ric Flair. And, um, you know, he was doing a, a show with Tony Schiavone for a while, and uh, which they still do. But Tony, I think, was apparently considering ending his podcast at the time. So he wanted to find another WCW-specific podcast, and Eric Bischoff is who he got. Now, Bischoff had done some podcasts before. He did one with Nick Hosman, who's a, a wrestling journalist called Bischoff on Wrestling. And it was okay. They didn't mesh too well together, honestly. But... uh yeah, 83 Weeks with Conrad, I think, is awesome. To hear, like, the actual head of WCW go back and review a lot of these old-school moments and just give his thoughts on it and provide the hindsight of 2020 of, hey, that was a good idea, or you know what? We kind of messed that one up. We kind of missed the mark there. So I really enjoy the 83 Weeks podcast. I like how candid he is, and I just like to hear his thoughts on things in the business. Yeah. So I'm going to say it's um, I haven't listened listened to it for a long time. I'll be honest. I stopped listening to it because I thought that uh, there was a lot of things Eric was forgetting, or you know, his his memory wasn't too great on a, on a few things. So maybe I would need to go back to it. So at the moment, it would be a a low for me. Um, but it's obviously been a success. So in that regard, it's a high. Um, 
But I just remember getting a little bit annoyed at some of the stuff he said. I think it was uh, when he was talking about like Bret Hart and, um, you know, he was saying some of the events that happened and he got it completely wrong. And the problem with that, of course, is somebody like Bret Hart is written everything down at the time. So you can <laughs> say, no, this definitely happened on this day. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I maybe have to go back to that one, but I, I did listen to it for a while. Did you hear the know. argument that he had with uh, Conrad over <laughs> over Sting not going over at Starcade '97 because he didn't have a tan? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's, there's a. I mean, that's another subject, but I, I think there's a good <laughs> argument for you know the the way Sting was and why he didn't get a proper run. I, you know, he didn't look great. I mean, he really didn't. You know, he wasn't in shape. Um, the tan thing's a bit silly, but he didn't have a tan. <laughs> I find Conrad very entertaining. I, I was a big fan of the, the show with Bruce when it first started, and uh, I, I, you know, Conrad's a good guy, and I've, I've spoken to Conrad before. But um, oh well, is uh, yeah, um, but He's maybe I'll go here. back he to knows the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I thought the, the presentation side of the the flare show that he did last year was was unbelievable and I, I would love to see him do you know another pay-per-view like that what he would do i don't know but yeah conrad's a good guy and i think he's very entertaining and, and i think eric's entertaining you know talking even even if he you know forgets things or his facts aren't quite right and um so maybe i'll go back to it maybe you've convinced me there right. yeah <laughs> so if i remember rightly this is the one where they had the biggest fight ever on the podcast mr isaacs yeah with the, with the sting thing with the sting <laughs> I, I got to do my Conrad impression here because he's like, you mean to tell me that you didn't put Sting over because he didn't have a damn tan? <laughs> That's great. Uh, it, it does single week, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> right, next up we've got is, and this is one back to what Stevie picked, which was the infamous priest angle. I've got to be honest, I found this super entertaining and uh, and to be quite honest, I didn't even realize it was Eric until I actually saw it. So this is what I love so much. But Mr. Isaacs, I'll start with you. What do you remember about this? <laughs> Bischoff, when he the, when he left, when WCW went under and he ended up going back to WWE just as an on-screen performer, man, he really like came out of his shell as a character. <laughs> like he was doing some of his best character work that he'd ever done. And this is an example of it. I mean, the, the Billy and Chuck wedding. It was goofy. It was over the top. It's nothing you could do today because Glad got upset about it back then, almost 20 years ago. I can imagine what would happen if you tried to do that now in 2023. But um, it was hilarious. I mean, it, and it was hard to tell that that was Bischoff. You know, like the, the makeup and everything was so convincing. It, it just, he really pulled it off, did really well. For the fact that uh, this kind of exemplifies the character work he was doing in the mid-2000s of WWE, I'll say this is a high for him. Yeah, absolutely. Stevie, obviously you picked this segment. Yeah, um, there's an article um, about the, the Billy and Chuck wedding in the new issue of Inside the Ropes magazine. Cheap plug there. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of people were upset that they didn't follow through and they didn't reveal Billy and Chuck to be you know, in a partnership or, or whatever the case. But if we're talking about Bischoff, the performance is unbelievable. Um, apparently, how true this is, I don't know. I think it might be on a, a WWE documentary. I'm not sure if it if it's in Eric's book. Um, but he said when he, he got the, the makeup applied and he got into character so well, um, people didn't realize it was him. 
Uh, they were concerned for him during the day. Some people were saying, is this guy going to be all right? Is he going to be able to, you know, do this segment? Um, making out that he was the real, um, you know, <laughs> priest or whatever it was, you know. Um, Just some actor they found, yeah. Right, whomever, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's so great when he he, he does the, the three-minute thing and says, does, you know, did someone say three minutes? And oh, I, I, I always look at when he did that. that it was so great. Um, and, he, you know, he pulls the wig, pulls the makeup off, it's just superb um and um again this is the kind of thing i feel little things like this are just missing today i don't know i might be wrong um but yeah it's whatever you think of of that particular segment he, he it just it just comes right around at the end and like i say when, when he takes the makeup off and everything and he's in character and he's he's fantastic in this role he's just so good yeah, so it's way, way high for me. I mean, this should have got him working Hollywood or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Mr. Isaac says it best. On the character work alone, it has to be a high because, as I mentioned yeah. in my part, nobody knew it was him. And no. like I said, he was, had so much fun in WWE. Obviously, we could have picked any segment, but that one in particular sticks out for me. So I'm actually glad you picked that one. So, yeah, I think we're all in agreement. It's a high, right? Yeah. yeah. I love the three-minute thing too that he would do. You know, got about three minutes. Yeah, and then these two big Samoans would just come out and beat the shit out of somebody. And that music, right? That music's so <laughs> great, and it's like the crowd, like they're supposed to be heels, but everybody's cheering because they think it's it's kind of like something from '95 ECW to me more than you know something that the, the wf or the we generally did oh absolutely so i can see great. that yeah. the only the only thing i would have said the the only bad thing was they really needed to do i don't think they did the match right because they were on the other brand so they did, they, they really needed to do three minute warning versus uh billy and chuck but aside from that um yeah eric's great in that role yeah absolutely so next up is obviously one mr isaacs picked which was being part of tna the one thing I always remember of this, and he said this many times, obviously in documentaries and stuff like that, is it was only ever there, obviously for Hulk. But yet, when you look back, it was pretty much on every single week. It's like you got shoved down your throat overall. But Stevie, I'll start with you on this one. What do you remember about his time in TNA? Um, I think um, I, I, I wasn't a regular viewer of TNA. Um, I watched uh, like the big events and things, some of the pay-per-views. Um, I started watching when Hogan came in, like a lot of people did, just out of curiosity to see where where it would go. Um, it felt like a repetition of the past to me, um, seeing Eric come out there. I think there was uh, like a backstage segment he did with Jeremy Borash, where he, um, you know, he basically gave Borash the the night off for good, you know, in that role as a an announcer backstage, and he was changing little things and um you know i think it backfired when they were in the ring and um hogan said i think it was at the, the genesis pay-per-view right way that they changed the ring from the six-sided ring and he said no <laughs> more wrestling and a pay pen play, play pen brother and the, and the crowd actually boo and it's 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 kind of like you know changing little things like that and bringing the nasty boys in and all that other stuff and all the people that came with them and it's like Ah, this isn't really what we want to see. It's it's not that we, we don't want to see Bischoff and we don't want to see Hogan. We just don't want to see them do the kind of things that they've done previously, if that makes sense. Um, so that's what bothered me. And I completely agree with you there, Liam, that it, it, you know, it was just too much Bischoff on screen and uh, it could have been handled you know, a lot differently. 
Mr. Isaacs, obviously you picked this uh, little talking point. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that way too. I feel like in the 2000s, uh, TNA really established its identity as a, a young wrestler's promotion. Uh, they had the uniqueness of uh, they had the six-sided ring, which they got from AAA, and they had the X Division, and they had they were the young and up-and-coming star promotion. But then when Bischoff and Hogan came in, um, it just completely changed. I mean, like Stevie said, they brought in the Nasty Boys, you know, of course, because they're Hogan's friends. You know, they yeah. brought in uh, Sean Morley, who used to be known as Val Venus. They brought in Orlando Jordan. That's nothing against those guys. But those guys just weren't what made TNA's identity what it is. Right. And um, I do remember when they got rid of the six-sided ring and brought in the four-sided, which I personally was not a big fan of the six-sided ring, but it was part of TNA's identity. And I remember the fans chanting very loudly, we want six sides, <laughs> to where you couldn't even hear what Hogan and Bischoff were saying yeah. in the ring. Uh, this is just something that, and it kind of got a little better in the sense of that impacts ratings got over a million, uh, over a million viewers here in the U.S. Um, yeah. But it dipped off pretty quickly after that, and it ended up fizzling out soon thereafter. So, you know, I, I think it was well-intentioned, but I think trying to use this old-school formula of what worked back in WCW uh, in TNA, which is more of kind of a, a new wrestler's game, it just backfired on them, and it just didn't go very well. So I'm going to say this was a low. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've got a little follow-up question to this a little bit because I just remembered obviously as you guys were talking about one thing that obviously Eric wanted to do was get TNA back on the road. Now, from a business point, that's kind of good, but financially, TNA wasn't actually the best for that. I'll start with Stevie on that a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. I think coming out of Orlando was a big mistake. Um, I think that was evident quite early on as well. The, the lower crowds it didn't look as good on screen. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't I know Impact's a different company, it really is, but it, you know, it doesn't look anything like how, how good it looked when they were in Orlando. In fact, there was one point I would have said where it looked so fresh and so unique, it actually looked better um, than I would have said SmackDown or Raw um, in the 2000s at one point. I agree with that. It, you know, because it just, yeah. just looked so unique into itself and the camera angles and the, you know the way it turned and everything, whereas Raw and SmackDown felt a little... Um, still and you know they needed to revamp and for whatever reason that you know they didn't for some time um but to get back on point yeah you've just reminded me there about that i think it was that genesis pay-per-view um like you say bringing molly in is fine but when he's going over christopher daniels in 10 minutes a guy that you know the fans yeah. have got behind and they've you know they've, they've got him over and he's he's worked so hard and he's a good guy and he's a good hand and then to lose to somebody you know from the from the attitude era who let's be honest no offense to him but he was he was a mid-card guy uh whereas daniels at one point was seen as the future um yeah. just silly things like that i i would have brought the nasty boys in uh, absolutely but you know putting them straight into a top program with like the dudleys and stuff and it was just like yeah you can bring these guys in but it's the way that you're using them it's not what we want to see in uh, you know 2010 2011. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Isaacs anything to add? No I mean I, I, I agree with all those points yeah definitely um, you know TNA should have stuck with what they were doing but I mean they took a gamble and it kind of had a little bit of a spike in ratings for a couple of years a little spike in revenue I do think them leaving the impact zone ultimately was a mistake the impact zone did have a great aesthetic to it I agree with what Stevie said awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it just gave them a uniqueness. And when they started to get out on the road, the crowds were small and you have to do the trick where, you know, you put all the fans in front of the hard cam and then you tarp off the rest of the arena. (laughs) Yeah. I had to do that old song and dance to make it look legitimate. It just wasn't good. Yeah. One final thing, obviously, to end on this teenager bit is many fans believe, obviously, that these two are obviously part of the reason why I want to say not a decline, but that's the only way I could word it, Mr. Isaacs. Would you agree with that? Or I would agree with that. And uh, and uh, Canada Dry agrees with it too because he said it was a low. Mm-hmm. So, Stevie, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it, I think there was, there was one pay per view. Um, you, you guys might know better, Mr. Isaacs, you might know better. Um, I think it was the, one of the Slammiversaries that was in the South and they did a really good draw and it looked, you know, it looked really good. Um, I'm going to say, I, I don't know when that was, but, you know, if just a few years later, they get out of Orlando and suddenly it just doesn't have the same feel. It doesn't have the same look. It's not the same promotion anymore. Um, and it's not all about the roster as well. It's just that feel and that look and, um okay i get in theory that you know to be a successful promotion you're thinking traditionally you need to be on the road you need to go state to state but if it's not drawing you you know and and your best piece of uh, business is in you know one place and i get that the tickets were free but i think they had a a pretty cool deal right at universal studios and stuff and um you know, the, the look of the show, a, a friend of mine went to one of the turbines and he was saying, oh, the atmosphere is so great there. And, you know, it's got such a unique look. Um, and it's it's just a shame. Um, yeah, whoever made that decision, I don't know if you could place that solely on Bischoff's head, but it was uh, a mistake. Yeah, next up. So we'll move along, obviously, to our next one, which is, and it's going to be a big one. It's, it's starting Nitro. I mean, straight away, there's so much to unpack here. So I'll start with Stevie. Obviously, this is one you pick. Go ahead. I think there's, there is a lot to unpack here. And um, I was trying to explain this to somebody quite recently, how much Eric has changed the business. Now, whether it's good or bad depends on your point of view. And the fact that um, had he not done what he did, we don't know where wrestling would be today we we have no clue so it's difficult to say for me if this is high or low now at the time yeah i get he needed to be competitive ted turner give him the opportunity and to do you know a monday night prime time show not only that but to go up against raw and everything um but for me to do competitive matches every week um i think is one thing you know it was an era when you used to squash matches week by week to see yeah. the big matches to see the you know the the competitive matches you had to either watch a pay-per-view or watch or, or go to a house show sorry um now raw did competitive matches but it there weren't pay-per-view caliber matches most of the time you know you can say that you know macho man versus repo man might have been a big deal on tv uh in in mid-90s wwf but it wasn't a it wasn't a match you would ever see on a pay-per-view whereas on nitro you know, the, the second week they're doing Hogan versus Luger, which, let's be honest, is a major pay-per-view event. Um, you know, not long after that, they did Hogan versus Sting on Nitro, which people forget now. Um, they're busting out all these matches. I mean, as as um, as a fan, um, if we're just talking about en- from entertainment value, um, that first Nitro, I mean, it's awesome. It's so good, and it's so exciting, and it's so fast. 
and uh, you know every match is great, um, or at least you know if if they're not great, the the, the big caliber matches is what I'm saying. Um, so it's it's a difficult one. I mean Nitro, you know, it crashed and burned in the end um, because you couldn't sustain something like that, and you certainly couldn't sustain something like that going up against the other company. Um, and you know, it brought them. You know, they had to bring their A game, so to speak. They had to put out the big matches every week, all the big angles and stuff. But I think for for Nitro, they did get carried away at one point where it was like, why the hell would anybody order a, a pay per view for, for this promotion? And I get that Turner took you know x amount of the money. I, I understand it was a different business model to Vince, but um, it's it's a tricky one. Um, but those early Nitros. Uh, you know, pretty great. Well, you know, by when when NWO turns up, you know, the the great. But two hours every week, in hindsight, was it the right move? We we don't know where we would be without that. Um, I don't know. It's a difficult one. Mister mm-hmm. Isaacs, your thoughts on this one? I remember that very first Nitro at the Minneapolis Mall of America, and uh, we lose Stevie. <laughs> yeah, we'll get him back. Carry on. Well, I remember that very first Nitro at the Mall of America in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and um, it it had, uh, like in the main event, you know, Lex Luger, who everybody knew was a WWF guy, came walking out wearing the Seinfeld puffy shirt, and they're all like, we know who he is, but what is he doing here? You know, and it was like a big moment. Yeah, And this kind of like, kind of what Stevie touched on, there were different business models between WWE and WCW. WCW was a television product first and a wrestling company second, whereas the WWE was vice versa. It was a wrestling company first and a television product second. So because Turner owned WCW and he owned the networks WCW was on, it was tailored very heavily towards a television product. So... They, they started putting on, a, like Stevie said, competitive matches and main events featuring like real top tier main event stars. And it really changed the game. It changed the wrestling forever to where we even today, we, we see main eventers on the shows every week. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't have happened if Nitro hadn't been created and we hadn't had this TV centric TV first approach to wrestling programming. So I think for that alone, the legacy of Nitro and what it brought to broadcasting of uh, professional wrestling, I think we have to consider it a high. Yeah, there's this, this a lot to unpack because obviously it started off really, really great. It got so much traction, but towards the end, it obviously went to dip. But is that obviously Eric's fault or is that more what went off behind the scenes, Steve? Um, it, it could well be what happened behind the scenes. I think Adam Thunder... You know, was the kiss of death. I think, um, as as I said earlier, um, if Eric wasn't um, as hands on as he had been, you know, being a performer, um, yeah. Um, obviously, the the stories of these executives getting Eric in the room and telling him what he can and cannot do, um, you know, cannot have helped morale at all. I think the high, um, you know, contracts, the the the, the high checks, uh, the, what people were getting. Um, you know, without Nitro, though, would WCW have folded in 96? We'll never know. It could have happened. Um, so, it, yeah, it's, it's a definite high, but I just wonder, would the business be in a better place now? Uh-huh. Would WCW still be here? Probably not, but, you know, 
um, it's it's difficult and it's interesting to talk about you know what ifs and and, and whatnot. But I think you know the legacy of Nitro, the Nitro, the fact that we're talking about it today, and it's nearly can't believe you know nearly thirty years old, which makes me feel ancient. Um, yeah, it's it, it counts for something for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So next one we obviously we got is one which Mr. Isaac's picked, which was executive producer of SmackDown. Mr. Isaacs, I mean, I will be honest, I know fluff all about this one, so I'll leave this to you. Neither does Bischoff. <laughs> um, this was uh, around the time of, uh, it was like the pandemic era, where they had established that Vince was going to kind of take a step back, and he was going to create two executive director roles to run Raw and SmackDown. So Paul Heyman was the executive director of Raw, and... Eric Bischoff was made the executive director of SmackDown. Um, now, obviously, Paul Heyman is a creative guy. So when he took over Raw, Raw completely changed with different storylines, different characters, different people being pushed. Bischoff is not a creative guy. He'll tell you that all the time. Kevin Sullivan booked WCW when he ran it. Uh, so he's not a creative guy. So he just ran it kind of as a backstage character, a backstage entity, uh, a corporate figure. A figurehead, I guess, kind of the way to, to look at it, just making sure that all the everything's stirred the way it should be in all the pots. Um, and it just according to what he said on his 83 weeks podcast, it just didn't go. Like he he clashed with Vince McMahon a lot. I think he wanted to substantially change the uh look and feel of SmackDown, whereas Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn didn't want to do that. And uh, it just kind of seemed like same old, same old on the SmackDown side. And then a few months into the gig, he was ousted and replaced with Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> so it, it just uh, it didn't go well for him. Um, his return to an executive title in pro wrestling, it just didn't work. So this is definitely a low. Okay, Steve, I don't know how much you know about this one. Yeah, I remember this at the time, and there was uh, lots of rumours about how Eric was more interested in catering and stuff, and he just, <laughs> uh, you know, his heart wasn't in it anymore. And and, and why would it be? I mean, it, it's so long since he, um, you know, was involved in that kind of capacity. And if that's true, you know, he wanted to change things. And then, you know, Vince McMahon or Kevin Dunn saying, you know, you can't do that. You know, his hands were tied, and I don't think that's how Eric Bischoff's going to work and, at, at any level. Um, so it's a definite law, and I, I'm glad you mentioned obviously Kevin Sullivan there because he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. You know, a lot oh, of absolutely uh, a lot of the things that happened in WCW are attributed to Bischoff when really it was Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> Sullivan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah booking, booking a lot of that good stuff. So yeah. it's a big, big, big law for this. And uh, although you know, I'm sure for him he, he took the paycheck and he was happy for the few weeks that he worked. So <laughs> there you go. So right, we've got one more obviously on Stevie's list, and I've got two extra ones to obviously discuss. So this is the biggest of the ball, I've got to say. So it's of course signing Hogan. Now, Mr. Isaacs, I mean, this obviously at the time, obviously, it set a big example, but in the long run. Was it too much loyalty to Hogan anyway? Well, WCW basically became uh, Hulk Hogan Championship Wrestling. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much what it turned into. Um, this is a double-edged sword, and this one's kind of hard to say whether it's a high or a low, because I think that the net positive of this ended up being a high because of being involved with the NWO angle and setting off the Monday Night Wars. If they hadn't had Hogan's name value, and recognition to build off of 
none of that probably would have happened. But at the same time, when you bring in Hogan, who has a massive ego, you give him 100% creative control over anything he's involved in. You really tie your hands up about what you can do. And, uh, you know, we, we saw with uh, Bash at the Beach 2000 <laughs> what happens when you give a guy creative control and full control over his character. Eventually, it's going to create a problem. The vision of the guy writing, booking the show is going to be different than Hulk Hogan's vision, who's supposed to be the top star. And uh, it caused some major, major issues, major rifts, and WCW fizzled out in large part as a result of it. Um, you know, as uh, Canada Dry says here, Eric had his head so far up Hogan's ass. That's pretty much true. Yeah. And uh, so this is a double-edged sword for me. I think it's a net positive for wrestling as a whole, uh, a negative for WCW specifically. So I, reluctantly, I'm going to say it's a high for that reason alone. Okay, Stevie, obviously this is one you chose. It's a tricky one. Um, I'm agreeing with uh, Mr. Isaacs on a lot of these things, and but this one perhaps the most, um, because at the time I was a, a fan of both the WWF, WCW to a lesser extent, but I really enjoyed the fact that it was different and it was kind of like the alternative. And if you tuned into WCW to watch quality matches at one point, you know, but higher quality matches that than you would have seen in the WWF, although that's not necessarily true after they got behind Bret Hart and he's in the main event and the pushing, you know, the new generation and all of that stuff. And we'd been taught as a fan, I was a teenager at the time, that, you know, Hogan was old hat. Uh, not only that, but I watched WCW, one of my favourite events ever. And it's not that every match is great. Um, Super Brawl 3, which is shortly after, I believe, Eric, Eric was given the, the power. Um, but what's great about it is you've got, like, Vader and Sting on top. Um, you know, you've got uh, Cactus Jack against uh, Paul Landorf, and you've got all of these kind of matches, these violent style of matches that you would never see in the WWF. So I always saw WCW, you know, they had war games, stuff like that. It was it was a real alternative. The in-ring was generally better. Um, so when they brought Hogan in, it was a, it was a big, you know, not that I hated Hogan. Or I was kind of sick of Hogan or told to be sick of Hogan, if that makes sense, because that was the... Um, you know, the the narrative that the, the WF were pushing, they were trying to tell everybody that, you know, this is old hat. We just had WrestleMania 10. We'd just seen this incredible at the time, you know, ladder match, which is unlike anything else anybody's ever seen. You've got Owen against Brett and stuff like that. Uh, and then Hogan gets signed to WCW, and it was really a feeling of, I, I don't want to watch this anymore, you know? Um, and I wonder how many old NWA fans they drove off when they, they signed Hogan, because, you know, for years, again, they'd been told the same thing. You know, Hogan's a bodybuilder. He belongs over there. Yeah. Uh, we, we're the real wrestling group. And then he comes in, and um, the, the problem wasn't so much Hogan, as you allude to there, uh, Mr. Isaacs. It's it's more to do with Hogan's gang that he brings in. You know, <laughs> here comes Beefcake, and here comes Axon, and here comes and it's like. It's the booty man, brother. It's the booty man. And, you know, I love I love the honky-tonk man, but in 1994, I don't really want to watch the honky-tonk man, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> you know, they've, they've, they've got the younger, more exciting talent, and it's just like, I want to watch Steve Austin and, and Johnny B. Bad and, you know, these, these kind of guys. And it's like, what are you doing? So it's, yeah, it's a high, and it was probably, again, it's one of those decisions where if you were in the same position, 
you know, anybody would have done it because he's still the hottest guy in the world. He's still the, you know, he, he is the uh, the golden goose or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but in the long run, yeah, uh, it was damaging to WCW. But again, they were in the red. Would they have got past 96 without Hogan? We'll, again, it's one of them. We'll, we'll never know. So it's, it's kind of a high, but it's a low in terms of, um, you know, how it panned out over uh, a long the long term. Yeah, so I think we can basically agree this is kind of like a neutral one because there's so many good points, but there's also so many low points in a way. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so I've got actually got two more. Here's two extra ones, and these is obviously two I picked. And this one is working with this guy at the side of him, Mr. Russo. I mean, if you listen to his podcast... (laughs) 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 Sorry, I meant Vince Russo. Sorry about that. Now, Mr. Isaacs, we've listened to his podcast so many times. How many times has he absolutely dissed Russo, be honest? Oh, he hates Russo. Yeah, I mean, I think just about anybody that ever worked with Russo hates him. (laughs) A few guys, it seems like, liked him. But, um, yeah, I think Disco Inferno liked him. I don't think much of anybody else did. But, yeah, um, Bischoff did not like Russo at all. And when Russo was brought in, um, you know, obviously he was uh, at the height of uh, riding the Attitude Era and coming over to WCW became the powers that be. You know, you could just hear this uh, New York accent in the background telling people what to do, but you never saw him. And they just kind of built up this ominous figure of uh, Russo coming in, and everything completely changed. And uh, Bischoff didn't like where this was going creatively. He didn't like Russo's ideas. He thought Russo was an idiot. And uh, they clashed. And Bischoff left, and he came back as kind of like a consultant. And then he ended up leaving again, and then Russo left, and Bischoff came back. I mean, this was like, this was so confusing that I don't see how anybody in WCW operated because the boss changed every five seconds. This was yeah. just chaos. Mm-hmm. Stevie, what do you remember, obviously, when he was working with Russo? I will say, I do like that first Nitro um, when Bischoff and Russo both were working together and they were revealed to be on the same side. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff in that episode. Um, I remember just, you know, from, from stupid things like Bischoff making the comment to Sid about the scissors and you know, little <laughs> winks and nods, silly things like that. But but even stuff like they finally paid off like the Hummer angle from the summer earlier, which was terrible, but they revealed it was Bischoff all along and he gets out and, you know, stuff like that's kind of cool. And Mike Awesome showing up when he's still ECW champion and, and stuff like that. Um, the problem is, and I think it's a fundamental problem with Vince Russo, you, you can do shows like that where it's like, you know, boom, 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 angle, angle, angle. It's you, crash, you know, TV. So crash TV, as he calls yeah. it. But doing that every week, just, it, it does not work. You, you cannot get behind everything. You cannot get behind anything, um, particularly if you're doing it in the main events as well, which, you know, um, he had the fil- filter in Vince McMahon and it worked out much better that way. Um and uh yeah it was just disastrous it was clear that uh you know eric and russo could not coexist or or work together at all and obviously uh you know coming to a head at uh, bash at the beach 2000 so yeah it's got to be a, a a low point but at the same time you know i do get where wcw were coming from to saying okay 
it worked with this guy let's put him with this guy let's see what we can do uh, but it was just disastrous unfortunately <laughs> for them yeah mr Isaac, high hello on this one yeah i'm gonna say hello i mean i i agree with what they were trying to do in principle and uh i remember reading about it online on the dirt sheets and i was like oh this is cool yeah like vince, vince russo was like the guy who made wwf what it is and he's gonna do this for wcw wcw now i was really excited about it as a fan back when i was like 16 years old and um it just didn't materialize that way i know stevie mentioned mike awesome i thought that was a cool moment when he came in with the ecw belt but it then was... a few months later he was the fat chick thriller <laughs> right <laughs> It's like, it's, what have you done to Mike Austin? Like, yeah. This guy's a badass. He was having these awesome matches with Masato Tanaka and ECW, and now he's the fat chick thriller wearing like tie-dye. It's, it was just ridiculous. Russo ridiculousness. It was. I mean, uh, I was gonna say there was another good point as well, where like um Kidman you know called out Hogan and stuff, and you just would not have imagined that. And I think it went back to a, a real life incident on a radio show or something where where Kidman had said some um you know some remarks about Hogan, and then they turned it into an angle, which they Something always like did. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but when Hogan came out and confronted him, it was like, even though I was a fan of Kidman and I was kind of tired of the old guard, it was like, how dare he do that? Look at the, the difference. And I think there was there was something interesting there. Uh, and there was a, there was a few other good angles uh, on that show. Uh, there was another one I remembered there um, with um, like like Scott Steiner confronting Ric Flair after he'd. Oh geez. You know, <laughs> he did the shoot, shoot promo the, on Flair. That was yeah, explosive. He did, the shoot, he did the shoot promo, and then and then you had uh, Shane Douglas come out and attack Flair, and then explain <laughs> why. But it was so it because it was done Crash TV style. There was no um, you know substance there, unfortunately. Um, of course, you had Tank Abbott attacking Mark Madden, which was a you know a really bad thing, I think. And uh, um, I, I don't know if Madden sued or something over that, or there was there was some. There was something said, wasn't there? It was. It was. Well, I think that um, they. I think Russo wanted to embarrass Mark Madden, so yeah. he told Tank Abbott to rip his shirt off so you could right. see like how out of shape he was. It was something like that. Yeah. I mean, how unprofessional is that, though? You know. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. sick. Yeah. Yeah. And Oklahoma, you know, making fun of Jim Ross for having Bell's palsy. That was just yeah. terrible. I mean, it just that was low. I remember that, was that really well. That was really low. Right, I've got one more, and this is obviously one which I remember really because I remember watching this pay-per-view live, and it's dealing with this, the infamous <laughs> GNA Victory Road 2011. Stevie, obviously, we didn't know much about this, but obviously we were referring back to the podcast again. It kind of went into detail how chaotic it was backstage trying to find Jeff Hardy, but what do you remember about this? Um... Just what was said, just the fact that, you know, he was in no position to compete. He was in no position to, to compete. <laughs> um, you get what I'm saying? Um, he, you know, he was in no position just to be out there at all. And, um, you know, Eric, um, you know, was in a tight spot. Um, now, I know at the time, and it's easy to sort of play, uh, you know, hindsight 2020, you know, um, backseat driver, whatever you want to call it um there was a match earlier in the night if i remember for the number one contendership is that right was it aj styles against rvd i think uh, I believe so so somebody made the comment of i don't believe it was me of what they could have done is done the same thing and then maybe had um i think it was styles that won i was gonna have just, a look at that carry on 
some some just as some kind of match you know just to send the fans home happy um at the same time when you're on the spot like that and you're going out live what do you do i mean you know you've got to feel for eric in a, a position like that yeah. um so it's a it, it's a law but it's not it's not his fault at all um you know that's that's on the company so, actually sorry part of the interruption was mr anderson versus robin it was the match but it ended in a double count out Oh, so they were screwed there too. Um, <laughs> so you send AJ out anyway. AJ can have a good match with Sting. Send somebody out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Isaacs, what do you remember about this one? I mean, we spoke about this before. You know, it's been a little bit, but um, I watched a clip of uh, Eric talking about this on 83 Weeks, and, and Eric didn't have any, like, executive authority in TNA over pay-per-views. Like, he was just the executive producer of the television show. Uh, Dixie Carter was the one who was supposed to run these shows, and she apparently wasn't even there. <laughs> and Bischoff was like frantically trying to get her on the phone because they couldn't find Jeff Hardy and couldn't. So he just took it upon himself, not even running the pay-per-view, but took it upon himself to go out and improvise and and try to turn chicken salad into chicken shit in the salad is the, the phrase, I believe. And, um, you know, he went out there and did the best he could. He communicated to Sting, hey, you know, he's not, uh, he, he's he's inebriated. He's not in good working condition here. Just hit him with the scorpion death drop and pin him. That's what he was relaying to him when he was standing there arguing with him in the ring. And it was just fascinating to hear how he worked so quickly to try to cover this up and do the best he can with it. And I think he mentioned that they didn't allow somebody else to come out and wrestle because they had time restraints. And Jeff Hardy apparently took so long to get to the ring that they just didn't have the time. They were going to run out of time and lose their pay-per-view feed. And um, this was a bad situation all around. Uh, but I think Eric did the best that he could to try to cover it up. And he just used his savvy to try to do something with it uh, the best that he could. Um, but ultimately... In terms of just Bischoff as a whole, I mean, I guess this could be considered middle ground, but obviously this was a low because of everything that went on, and uh, it's a bad look for wrestling in general. Mm -hmm. Stevie, hi, hello on this one. Yeah, no, I completely agree with all of that. I think, uh, you know, it's great that Eric stepped in, and it's terrible that there was nobody there to, you know, I'm, I'm not putting myself over by any means, but I've worked independent shows where that situation just wouldn't happen and and if if we were in that position there would be a backup plan uh but you mentioned there the pay-per-view time it's it's worth taking that into account you know you're counting down i don't know how long they had left obviously if they did say they had an aj or whomever that was able to work with sting and i wouldn't blame sting for not you know working anybody because he's in a position there where he's got to do a match on the fly and make it a good one if they yeah. had 10 minutes left it's not going to happen either way is it? it's going to be a bad look either way the one good thing I suppose you could take from that was uh, in the sense of, um, you know, it shows that a match can can end at any point. But, you know, the fans are so clued in by that point, particularly in TNA, that they're just going to know that something's up. And it, it got, it, you know, it made a, a, a lot of uh, talking points the next the next week and uh, in the months that followed. But, you know, for the wrong reasons, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. But it just shows how how bad things were being run uh, backstage, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So that's obviously the talking point. So I've got a follow up question. Obviously, as we begin to wind down, Mister Isaacs, when it comes to obviously Eric himself, what what's his legacy when it comes to the rest of the industry as a whole? 
I think you asked me this on another podcast, and I'm going to give you the same answer I gave you then. It was the 83 weeks. I don't mean the podcast. I mean the 83 weeks where Nitro beat Monday Night Raw completely changed the wrestling business forever. And um, I think when you look back at Eric Bischoff's legacy in the wrestling business, when he's dead and gone, it's going to be that time period. It's going to be that 83-week window where Nitro beat Raw and a wrestling promoter beat Vince McMahon. It's the only time it's ever happened. Might possibly be the only time it ever does happen in Vince's life. Um, so that's going to be his legacy. Okay, Stevie, what about you? I agree, and and the fact that it made WWE change as well. Uh, you know, for either you know better or worse, doing the competitive matches. Uh, you know, making Raw a big event every week, um, which it is to this very day. Um, the fact that we have this structure of of, of even the pay-per-views, you know, being, uh, you know, so frequent, whereas, you know, before Eric came along, there was, you know, four, four a year per company, five a year, and then it turned into 12. Um, so it did change so much when you look back, um, you know, the, the even, as we said, the heel um, guy in charge, you know, um, you know, the general manager thing kind of comes from Eric in a lot of ways. Um yeah, there's a lot there, but re ultimately, I would say Nitro, um, and the fact that he beat Vince, as you say. Yeah, I think that's an absolute great thing to end on. So before we do off to our outro, we're going to say thank you to our our sponsor, which is of course FTW Wrestling. Mister Isaac, have we actually googled this yet? I haven't actually looked at the website, but uh, yeah, this is the place you want to go if you want to learn how to wrestle. You can be trained by Natalia Markova and Brian Idol, a couple of NWA wrestlers. And um, this is where they run their own shows. We're going to, I believe, we're going to show some of their matches here on the FN Wrestling YouTube channel. So, oh, wow. Be very excited to see that. Yeah. So, and they actually, do, I've seen the, I've actually seen the website. They've got champions. Absolutely terrific. Is it 250 a month? I believe the price. Yeah, $250 a month, which, I mean, that that's a bargain for wrestling training from somebody who's actually on a televised wrestling product like NWA. So take advantage of that. If there's anybody out there young enough that wants to train to be a professional wrestler, give them a serious look. Yeah, absolutely. So before we do, obviously, our outro, Stevie Aaron, is there anything you want to plug, my friend? Um, I don't think so. I think uh, that's absolutely cool with that. You know, check out Inside the Ropes magazine. Um, obviously, I write for those. And uh, if uh, anybody's watching and you're, you're at one of the indie shows that Matt say hello. <laughs> Sim plain and simple. I absolutely awesome. love that. Nice, nice and nice and easy. So you guys want to follow us on social media. We're absolutely everywhere. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube. I'm actually on TikTok back on that weirdly for some reason. But as always, Mr. Radix, we're everywhere. We are everywhere, my man. And it's no longer Twitter, it's X. Oh yes. X is gonna nice. give it to you like DMX, pal. <laughs> Don't wind me up with that one. And Mr. Isaac, tell everybody about the t-shirts. Yeah, you can go to prowrestlingtees.com slash and wrestling if you want to get one of our t-shirts like the one modeled here by natalia markova which we mentioned a second ago and um we've got the magic of wrestling shirt by our good pal dollywood and mr isaacs i'm waiting for this segment i love it every single week the old school <laughs> if you like old school wrestling and i know you guys do out there you can go to pro wrestling tees.com slash Adrian Adonis. 
who was recently featured on the Vice documentary series, Dark Side of the Ring. We run his Pro Wrestling Tees store. Go get you a shirt. Of course. Uh, any final words from Mr. Stevie Aaron before we head off? I think I'm good. Just thank you for uh, the opportunity, I suppose. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, guys, and uh, hopefully I'll get to do it again sometime. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And, of course, Mr. Isaacs, I'll let you do it the last thing before we click the outro. Yeah, so we, we do a thing here on this channel. We, we like to end each show with a, a bit of positivity. And, uh, you know, we've all got things going on in our lives. We, we've all got negative things going on. I know I certainly do. I know everyone here does. Um, but the most important thing that you have to remember is that every bit of adversity that you face in your life is going to make you stronger. It's going to be a net positive for you. It's going to make you a better man or a better woman. You're going to be a better human being for it. And what you've got to do is you just got to look at adversity straight in the eye and you got to say, I'm going to conquer you. And I'm going to just keep fighting. 